This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and I am really grateful, actually. I am grateful to have this forum to talk to people I respect, people I admire about big issues, big issues of faith, big issues about politics, just big ideas in our culture with all kinds of interesting people from across the spectrum of ideas and backgrounds and cultures. And we do it in goodwill and in good faith. It is an honor to be a part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. And you know what? We we need your help. We do. We The simplest way to help is by telling a friend. Tell your Uncle Bob, your Aunt Tilly, your cousin Sheila about this. I have a cousin Sheila. Uh, I got. I used to have an Aunt Rhoda. She passed away. I think everybody would like her. Uh, but the simplest way to tell a friend about us is just go right to our site. Our main site is www.politicsandreligion.us. That's www.politicsandreligion.us. Or you can feel free to connect with me on social media. I am at Corey S. Nathan. That's C-O-R-E-Y. S is in Sam. Nathan. At Corey S. Nathan. All of that helps get the word out so more people can participate in these conversations. Just like the one we're having today with my new friend, Mike Leon. Can I say Leon? Like, uh, I don't know. Is it the French pronunciation or uh, a Spanish pronunciation? <laughs> it is a Spanish pronunciation. You can say Leon. Uh, a lot of people kill me for that. Of course, all Hispanics that are saying, why aren't you saying it Leon? I'm like, well, because white people don't say Leon. They say Leon. So I got to be Leon. So good to see you, Corey, my yeah, friend. Yeah, it's good to see you. So my new friend, Mike, he's actually, he might be an old friend. I'm sure we like party together in Rutgers at some point. Mike is a Rutgers journalism graduate with 20 plus years of TV, radio, and digital media experience, including production stops in news and sports from Fox News to ESPN, to MSG Networks, just to name a few. And he is the co-host of the Can We Please Talk podcast, a top 200 news commentary podcast in the U.S. that breaks down the latest headlines featuring interviews with award-winning journalists, current and former government officials, historians, legal analysts, best-selling authors, and even yours truly. But we won't hold that against them. Mike, thanks again, man, for coming in. It's really great to hang out with you. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, first off, right now, after you read that that biography on me, I, I the smile on my face, it's like I actually have done stuff. You know, sometimes <laughs> in life, everybody talks about imposter syndrome. And this is kind of like adjacent to it, where it's like when you have it read back to you, as you get older, you're like, oh, I actually have done things. Like I actually have experiences that I can draw on. So it's pretty cool. I, I'm super excited to be here. You know how much I, I love not only your show title, I think your show title is like the net that fishermen use to grab fish. Like it's just, it's a powerful net where you're just like, I need to find out more about that. And then when you listen to the conversations, you're pretty much hooked, man. You're on that net and you're getting ready to get fried, you know? So <laughs> I love being on the show, man. You know, what's funny is uh, I noticed that you, your, your program and your network, LMN Network, we'll talk about that. Um, it, there's some affiliation with ACAST. So I was looking into ACAST. I talked to some people over there today and they said, um, you know, just a thought, you might want to drop the politics and religion thing. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm not married to it. Like, so if some branding expert comes in and tells me we can rebrand it as some fancy name, uh, you know, consolidate it a little bit. But that's the whole point. It's like people don't like talking about politics and religion. Why? Because the screamers have taken over the whole space. 
but we're taking some of that space back. So I want to keep the politics and religion in there. They were saying for um, advertisers, like if advertisers are going through and they say politics and religion, they're like, oh, no, we don't want any of that. But, you know, I think there are advertisers that are looking to advertise in spaces that are, are taking some of the space back for more nuanced conversations, more civil conversations, more fun conversations about these important issues. So it was an interesting, uh, interesting side note. But uh, so well, well, just to pick, wait, just to piggyback on that, Corey, yeah. first off, advertisers are all over CNN, Fox News, yeah. MSNBC, Newsmax, OAN. So the idea that advertisers won't pay to be around that content is a lie. They will pay if there's eyeballs or listeners. Right. So really, my thing has been, as people have told me similar things, and I don't really dive too much into religion. I dive more into the politics space and I've had members of Congress on. But eyeballs, civil conversation and dialogue, once they listen to the show and they realize, oh, this is an actual conversation, call to actions, advertisers will be on board. Trust me, my friend. Right. So I, I, I would say ignore that advice that you got and keep keep the title, man. It hooked me in. It's going to hook other people. That's in. awesome. That's encouraging. Yeah. yeah, to your point, I've been listening to some of my favorite programs, the Dispatch, Bulwark, uh, Politicology. You know, I've been listening and taking inventory of who's advertising on there. There's some really good uh, established brands that that uh, that do choose to advertise in some of those programs, but yeah, to your point, it's just keep keep doing what we're doing, and uh, I think I think it'll catch on <laughs> at some point. You know, I was curious as I was digging into your career. I was curious: is broadcasting, broadcast media, journalism, is that something that you were interested in as a kid, or is it something that you kind of gravitated toward in your time at uh, at Rutgers? Or when did you when did you start to make that your focus? You know, I, I've always wanted to be on television. My father worked for ABC for a long time. He was like a camera operator uh, before he actually got into technology. And then I kind of followed the same thing. I went into television and then went into like streaming services and launching streaming apps. So it's it's funny how the Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But um, not that he would take me to sets or anything like that, but I just got really interested in the television production world. And I knew that I wanted to work like at a TV network. I didn't know where. I just knew I wanted to be in it. And then journalism, you've met my co-host on Can We Please Talk. Um, we, the two of us were in journalism classes together. And we used to do like these projects where you would go out on the field assignment, shoot it, you know, do a story, like almost like a real sports type of piece. And I remember doing one of those pieces and one of my professors, the way I did it, I was like, according to Targum News, like we got this, this and that. And I remember him being like, this is not the way you're supposed to do journalism. Why would you do things like this? And, and, and most of the time it would like discourage somebody. Maybe they would drop out of that major. But it just made me want to do it more. Just like when the parent tells you don't do that, then you end up going to do it. So TV, I, I love it. Like now I'm addicted to it um, in terms of I'm addicted to it from a different lens. Right. Because I've been behind the camera. Uh, you know, I've been uh, creating segments that have been on television. I've helped launch streaming services. So like I look at it from a way different lens that a consumer would look at it. And now I'm just enthralled by it because the literacy part of it and breaking down, I was telling you this off air uh, a couple of days ago about people don't understand the difference between an on-air commentator, a contributor that's part of that network that's being paid by that network versus somebody like me who's not paid by that network legal analyst that's paid by the network versus one that's not paid like they don't understand the subtle nuances of television and with our show i've decided that when we talk about subject matter expertise especially in the media space that's somewhere where i can go to town my co-host has been in education for 25 years he goes to town on education stuff and that's really 
that's been my space now to be able to talk to people about media literacy and judgment. You sh- your one stop should not be 8 p.m. at CNN or Fox or something like that. It should be an accumulation of all of these news sources and taking the series of facts and commonalities that are found in these articles and then interpreting that as the truth because it's been, you know, uh, messaged by 50, 60 or validated, excuse me, by 50, 60 different outlets that are credible that are saying these are the facts. Car fire in Queens. Two people have died. These are the actual facts. So that's what I've taken upon myself. Long winded answer there to tell you that. I've always been interested in TV. It's just always fascinated me as a, as a little kid, and I'm 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 privileged to be working, you know, in the space. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I did want to ask you about the different hats that you've worn. Because yeah, like you said, you've been behind the camera. Uh, you've also been involved in networks, apps, and their online presence. So I was curious about uh, about your your experiences there. But you bring up a really interesting point about what are we watching? If we're watching NPR or P, uh, PBS, if we're watching CNN, if we're watching our local ABC uh, or CBS uh, news, uh, the five o'clock news, can you break down for us uh, what we're watching and, and and maybe give us a you know the Reader's Digest version of how we can be more informed consumers of the news depending on what we're watching and if you have any recommendations about how we can be more engaged, informed citizens. Yeah. So the first thing I would start with, folks, is you have to have some type of self-awareness. I get this a lot from comments on social media when they say, oh, you had this person on. They are blah, 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 left-leaning, stuff like that. And I always tell people, that is a you problem. Those are your ears. I'm creating the content. I'm asking a question. And most of the time it's around the border or some type of other issue where we've had an immigration reporter that's covering it. And I tell people all the time, those are your ears. That's not me. I'm creating the content. Am I moderating it a little bit? Sure. Maybe I'm editing out something that she, she or he or she wanted me to take out, but it's your ears. That means you're hearing something else that's polar opposite of that. And now you're thinking that these two things should be, you know, in conflict with each other, which is not the case. So that's the first thing. You have to have some self-awareness. If you've you've told me this off air about we listen to different things, whether it be Ben Shapiro or even Mark Levin, something like that, just to hear their intros. We got to hear it for ourselves to hear what these folks are covering. And then we can go back to our safe spaces, quote unquote. But on the TV side, you know, I never noticed it when I was working in it, when I worked at Fox News and I started there as a PA and then I graduated to assignment desk and I was a writer. Um, The way segments are built is a little bit different than what it used to be back then. Because what it used to be back then was, all right, we're going to have a Republican, Democrat, same set, screaming match, see you later, <laughs> nothing gets done. Now we get either eight boxes where there's like seven analysts on screen with somebody on the linear television. And you're like, I can't follow any of this. So what do you do? You scroll down with your eyes and you look at the lower graphic. And the lower graphic is giving you 30 characters max. And it's really not the best summation of what is actually being talked about in the segment. So the first thing I would tell people is if you're in a newsroom, I mean, excuse me, like in a waiting room, a doctor's office or something like that, don't take word for word what you saw in that lower graphic with the volume off as, you know, oh, this is what's happening. I saw it on the news. That's your first part. You should not. You should have 
this intrinsic quality to not be lazy and do more research about that graphic that you saw on television. That's the first thing. So turn the volume up, A, and B, do more research on what it is that you saw. The second thing that you should do is a lot of people tend to have this. They see an anchor. You know, we had Jake Tapper on our show. We've also had Mike Emanuel from Fox News Live. He's a friend of mine. We've had Eamon uh, Mohideen and Mehdi Hassan from MSNBC. We've had Amna Nawaz from PBS. People see an anchor and they go, oh, no, uh, left-leaning, Clinton News Network, right? All the acronyms that you're hearing now. And the problem is you have to be able to decipher if the person is doing their job. On the lower graphic, it says host, Jake Tapper, the lead with Jake Tapper. He's the host. So what does a host do? A host is supposed to facilitate, ask questions. I always go to this example. When Anderson Cooper said about Donald Trump, that he was like a turtle on his back, a sun beach turtle, orange, whatever it was. He immediately crossed the line and now became an opinion commentator on his own network. Impropriety, you know, all of that stuff, uh, impartiality, excuse me, went out the window because he crossed over into not giving me the news anymore and being the host of a show. He threw his opinion in there into a segment. You, the Michelle Obama thing, right? When they go low, we go high. It's not really about that. It's more of like, don't dive into that. That's not your role. That's what the opinion commentator is for. So notice the titles and notice if it says CNN, you know, uh, politics analyst, or if it just says like me, when I pop up on screen, it'll just say host of the Can We Please Talk podcast, because there's a subtle difference there. The subtle difference is one is, in, is paid for by the network, meaning they get a paycheck, not necessarily that their opinions are paid for, but you know that it is going to fall in line because they have a paycheck associated to it. So maybe they won't give you the raw. And then you got people like me that will come on there, say what we want, and maybe we don't get invited back, right? So that's first. I mean, second. So so judging, this is the way I kind of look at a segment. I watch something that Jake Tamper's doing, and I'll listen to his monologue at the top of the hours, four o'clock, five o'clock. I'm just using him as in the example. He'll tell me, you know, what's happening as the top stories. And then when we come back, when he comes onto his single shot and now we're into the A block, which is the first uh, segment, he'll say, you know, the war in Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. Let's go to our international correspondent who's in our London office or somebody in Kiev for more on what just happened. That is news. That is the news that you should be listening to. Taking down, if you want to take down notes, take down notes, but listening to it and taking down notes and verifying it across Reuters, AP News, Yahoo News, et cetera, et cetera. When Jake goes to break and when we come back, we're going to talk about the GOP debates happening, you know, next week on Fox News. And he comes back and it's you and me and two other jamokes that are sitting there <laughs> at a panel. Now, this is the opinion part of this. Okay. This is the opinion part of the show. These are four people that are going to give you informed perspective, but it's still their opinion. It's not the news. It's just their opinion. So people don't understand the news side of the house and the opinion side of the house. And nobody knows it better than me that worked at Fox News that was really on the news side of the house. I worked adjacent to opinion programming like Hannity, like Bill O'Reilly, because I did the top and the bottom of the hour news cut-ins. The top five stories, here's what you need to know. Here's a full screener. Here's sound on tape of what happened there. So you need to judge what these folks are doing. If you, if you consume television news, again, podcasts are great as well, just like this one, just like mine. Um, but you really need to understand what it is that these folks are doing in their roles. Are they fulfilling them? And when it is a news 
uh, segment and when it's an opinion segment. It's a huge difference because people regurgitate the opinion segment back in conversation to friends and say, yeah, I saw it on CNN. And it's like, who did you see that from on CNN? Did you see it from Corey Nathan and Mike Leon, who are not affiliated with CNN? Or did you see it from Jake Tapper talking to Paula Reed, who's a correspondent on CNN? So those are the differences right there. Turn the TV up. Don't take the graphic as, you know, the gospel. And then understand the difference between news and opinion. So speaking of graphics, I've heard you use the expression the graphics are preloaded. I know this is kind of getting in the weeds, but I was I was curious, uh, you know, talking about when you were working with Hannity on Fox, what does that mean and, and uh, how can we recognize it when it's happening? Yeah, so uh, what I mean by that is, uh, I was telling you this uh, the other day, Corey, like the shows are built um, a, a couple of hours beforehand. There's a system called MPS that everybody uses in commonality. And all you do is you copy over you're over the shoulders, which are called OTSs. If the anchor has, you know, a, a shoulder graphic over them, you copy over your full screeners. You can even copy over a segment. Hey, we're going to come back at the top of the next hour with the Trump stuff, right? So we're going to, we're going to have Kate Baldwin on camera. Or we're going to have Martha McCallum on camera standing up. So those are cues that everyone knows from the director to the stage manager, everybody that's in the production wing of this uh, segment or this entire news hour, they know what's going to be happening. When I say the graphics are preloaded, the show coming on after the show that you're watching right now is setting up. And those graphics, they're entering it into a system to call it up to see what it looks like on television. I mean, everybody previews stuff before it goes out there. People think we're just, just throwing it out there. You're not just throwing it out there, they're previewing it. So those graphics are preloaded for a reason. So when we come in and all of them have the breaking news or Fox News has the alert, you know, to kind of Pavlov's dog you and, you know, get you to, whoa, whoa, what's going on right. here? And then you just realize it's the same thing from the last hour. Um, those graphics are preloaded. So when I give the analogy of like Sean Hannity's coming on, you know, he's been sitting down since like 820. It's not, you know, he knows his show's on at nine o'clock, but his studio is lit up. He has his own control room sometimes. I've been in the building for a while. So his team is already preloading everything. And maybe if something's earth shattering, meteor about to hit us, then we'll change out that graphic that's in the, it will move something up and move something down in you know the blocks a b c d depending upon how long the show is so that's what i mean by the graphics are preloaded you know if if joe biden does something good right that you and i may find on cnn or msnbc but we don't necessarily see it on fox they're going to come back from you know at the top of the hour after jesse waters show and it's going to have a graphic that's preloaded with hunter biden on it or the doj is corrupt something like that that stuff's preloaded. That's not changing. You got to give me something earth shattering to get that out of there. So I move that story back down. We're still going to do the Hunter story, but we got to move it back down. So that's what I mean by the graphics are preloaded. This stuff is done, you know, it, it's almost like a football analogy, right? The first 12 plays are scripted before, yeah. <laughs> you know, they take the field and do the drive. This is the exact same thing. Stuff is scripted and preloaded. And even like live shows, you know, I worked for ESPN and did Sunday Night Baseball. That stuff is done a couple days before. Like, what are we going to talk about in this three-game series? What are we going to do on Sunday? Who's who's the pitching matchup? You know, how is pitchers faced against hitters? So I can load all of that stuff and have it available so people can call it up to fill time. So that's what I mean by the graphics are preloaded. So I, this is just from an observer standpoint, a consumer of news. Uh, I find myself when big events happen, 
Uh, we happen to be recording this the night after the Fulton County indictments were announced, and we were all waiting to late in the night uh, for Fawny Will- DA Fawny Willis to come before the cameras. And what I noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just my observation, is that Fox News, I, I was going to Fox News, and it was almost like uh, the, the uh, contributors, whether it was a Brett Baer or other contributors, were groping around for what their narrative would be. I mean, leading up to that moment, they had a couple of talking points. They were, you know, what about Hunter Biden? And, uh, you know, going to clips of a Republican presidential candidates who were saying it's, uh, you know, uh, weaponizing the DOJ and, and stuff that's basically stale at this point, if you ask me. That's, uh, sorry, that's my opinion. Um, but right. once, the, once the indictments were announced, and I recognize this too, going back to January 6th itself, that uh, if you, uh, that day I tuned in to the end of Will Cow's program on, on uh, XM radio, and then the beginning of, of Hannity's uh, radio program on XM, and they didn't quite know what the talking points were. They were still kind of reaching for them. And it very quickly did congeal around certain talking points w- with regard to that. Where was your outrage when? What did you expect would happen? You know, there are two or three things that, that emerged that day that then became the talking points. Is that kind of, there? like the, um, the correspondence and, and the anchors are improvising in a way to find what the narrative is in that environment? Or am I just, is, am I just reading too much into it? No, no, no. I mean, you're, you're kind of half on it. The first thing is Brett Bear. See, Brett Bear, not a contributor, a host. A host. He's their chief political anchor, right? Right. So if they have him appear on somebody else's show, now he's giving his opinion. Mm. When he's doing his show, special report at 6 p.m., or he's hosting like the debates, which he will be next week, now he's a host, he's a moderator. Right? He's just supposed to be John Stockton, pass the ball and, and get out of the way, right? Ask the questions and get out of the way, not interject his opinion. Um, I think the networks do a huge disservice around big events. The, the best example I could give is CNN because, and, and I hate picking on them, um, not because I'm a fan of those, just because I don't want to really actually pick on any network, especially if I'm going to be put on there <laughs> in a few weeks. Um, but no, in all seriousness, they do, a, they do a disservice because there's too many talking heads. There's just too much noise. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. How many former federal prosecutors do you know? I mean, do you need to just sit there on standby and twiddle their thumbs? I mean, I know three of them that were on the segment last night and they're sitting there for hours. And then you've got three reporters that are sitting outside the courtroom, Sarah Murray, you had Paula Reed, you have Kaylin Collins. They're all sit up there with a truck. You, you don't need all three of them sitting outside. You don't need two different studios lit up with eight different contributors. So you can go to one panel that's moderated by Jake Tapper, one panel that's moderated by Anderson Cooper. And then you've got the, you know, the 11 p.m. midnight hour. They're, they're on standby with three other lawyers themselves. Like you just don't need all of that. And, and the problem is, is that in, in my opinion, they do a disservice around major events like that because it's just too many people. I want to get it from one person that has similar experience prosecuting RICO charges in the case of the Georgia stuff. Ellie Honig is perfect for that. The guy's done a bunch in in terms of RICO charges from a federal perspective. He was SDNY and a DOJ prosecutor for forever, New Jersey guy. And I'm I'm using him because he's an actual friend of mine. So that's the first thing. I think the networks just do such a bad job with that and having too many people. I tend to, you know, listen to NPRs. 
uh, politics podcast or NPR now, uh, I think it's first or whatever their like six minute news show is. I have that on my phone. I have the New York Times daily, you know, like the up first show. So I'll listen to some of that to get, you know, some added reporting around it. But the the big thing that uh, you were talking about narratives and finding narratives, it, it's again, it's all different because the correspondents are actually doing the news. There's one in the courtroom, right, that was watching the clerk, waiting at the clerk's office. There's one that's actually in the presser asking Fannie Willis, that who Sarah Murray was asking that, questions about this indictment. Are you going to charge all of them all at the same time, like in terms of bringing them to court? So you have people like that that are actually doing work. The talking heads you got to have at least one or two hosts that are flowing this conversation. And you do have that with Jake Tapper and Anderson Cooper. But you don't need seven former federal prosecutors, six former criminal defense attorneys, you know, and then three political analysts. You know, Van Jones was on there. What is Van Jones doing on there? I'm sorry. When did he get his law degree? Maybe he does have a law degree, so I don't want to diminish him. But again, this is a guy who's just a politics analyst, right, for CNN. So maybe he's there for the political perspective of like how this will influence because he's worked on a campaign. Maybe that's not what I need right now. In the in the interest of giving people the information that they want, I need a host and I need a lawyer. And I need a lawyer that's done this stuff before or has worked in the state or actually knows the prosecutor. Give me that. Give me the steak and potatoes. Let's cut to it. I don't need appetizers. I don't need 100 desserts offered to me. And I think the networks do a bad job in that. And with the narrative stuff that you were mentioning, I don't know, necessarily know that it's um, that they're searching for narratives. I think it's more so that it's live TV. Mm. When I go on television, for example, if I go like on a Saturday night panel, they send me the topics Wednesday. If anything changes by Friday, they will update me as to what they're going to talk about. You know, I've been on one show where I was on for three segments in a row. That's like 45 minutes. But I was really on camera for, you know, maybe, you know, five to six minutes of that. So and a shame on them for not having me for more. <laughs> but that's that's where you have to actually figure out. Okay, what do I want to talk about when they ask me this question? Because they don't give you the question. They give you the topic. They don't tell you what the host is going to ask you. Of course not. Nor should they. Right. What is this? You know, the DNC with the Hitler. I'm joking. Um, (laughs) But there's a hint of truth in that. So like in all seriousness, you have to figure out on the TV side, you got to juggle between a question that's being asked and what it is you want to convey because you know the topic. It's it's an incredibly hard thing to do. I've mentioned it a bunch on the show. And then you have somebody in your ear saying, hey, 10 seconds to break. You know, it's very tough to do. But that's where I think that people are not necessarily trying to find buzzwords or things to shape the narrative. I think it's that they're trying to find out information. They're being told one thing in the ear. And then the producer's like, we got to cut to this. We got to cut to that. Oh, actually, we're going to break in with this. It's a lot harder in a live environment, in a pre-recorded environment, you know, wink, wink, um, three o'clock, Martha McCallum, that guest that's coming on already knows what the topic is going to be about. And they know they can get those buzzwords off, right? They can say weaponization and they can drop in Hunter Biden and play the whataboutism game because it's easier because it's not live TV. So uh, here's a tough question. It might get you into trouble with, with your old pals from Fox News. As we saw with the Dominion Voting Systems case against Fox News, there's been a problem when it comes to facts and truth, at least in certain uh, news outlets. So one, if a supposed news organization's commitment isn't necessarily to facts and truth, what are their commitments? 
Wow. I mean, that's a great question. Listen, I don't want to keep invoking Jake Tapper because I think if you do it enough times like Beetlejuice, he'll appear. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, the he wrote in his book, All the Demons Are Here, that he came on our show to promote. Um, and you've probably seen him on the book tour. He wrote about a 70s style character that's in the mold of Rupert Murdoch yeah. that wants to do sexing up journalism, right? Let's sex up the lead. Let's, you know, get a little bit more clickbait. At the time, it was more periodical because it's a historical thriller. So based around periods in the 70s. And it resonated with me because, you know, when I worked there at the network, fair and balance was the slogan, yeah. Yeah. right? We report, you decide. Right. And I always would repeat that to people and they would laugh at me. And I didn't know what Fox News was like as a viewer. I knew it as somebody working there. Hey, Mike, what's the top five stories of today? Well, Peter Jennings just died. Oh, okay, well, where's that obituary package? Okay, we've got to load it up. Okay, who are we going to have on, on the phone from ABC News that's going to join this person in the 2 a.m. hour or something like that? So, like, I worked at it from a news perspective. I did the news. The opinion folks that were on from 8 to 11, and it was really O'Reilly and Hannity and Combs, and then Geraldo would rotate here with Greta Van Susteren. Um, you know that you, the consumers got to know that they're doing opinion. Like you have to know that. You have, it, there should be a disclaimer at the beginning of the show that says, warning, the opinions are uh, shared in this entire, you know, our uh, show are solely of Jesse Waters, not representative or indicative of the opinions and beliefs of Fox News. They're never going to do that. They're never going to do that because as you've said on my show, and as we all know, negativity does sell. We see it in sports when teams do terrible. You and I are both New York kids. When sports talk radio kind of blew up in New York, it's always because the Mets are bad or the Giants are bad or this team is struggling. The successes, while they get spotlighted, it doesn't draw as much people calling in to complain about it. And it doesn't generate as much ratings for those shows like First Take or Undisputed. And it's the same thing in news. They kind of copied each other with respect to roundtables. And shout out to my co-host, Nick Savary, who's kind of made this uh, comparison to the McLaughlin group that used to be on NBC, you know, around the same time, I think an hour after Meet the Press. And the comparison between that and sports reporters, where like ESPN copied something similar, but they're not yelling at each other as much as they used to on the McLaughlin group, which was, you know, a Sunday show, political analysts just raring at each other. And it did always did well in the ratings because that's what sells. And I think I think Fox News, I, I struggle because I've been offered a job to go back two different times. And one time was to work around Tucker Carlson's content. And I couldn't do it. I, I can't do it, Corey. Between you and I, I've said this to you before, I can't deal with disingenuousness. You know, is he is he conservative? Sure. Sure. Does he believe half that stuff? No. I know he doesn't. I know people in his circle. I know people that have worked for him. I know Abby, the producer that got let go. I know contributors that he's had on this show. I know he doesn't feel like that all the times. But he he wakes up in the morning and is like, Got to put something out. I'm pot committed now. I can't peel back this onion or, or peel back my mask and show that, oh, I'm actually a moderate Republican that believes in, you know, social issues, but also I'm fiscally like he can't do that. He can't do that. It will it will destroy an entire brand that he's built from bow tie to now. Right. So like he literally cannot do that. And you asked about the responsibility of these networks. 
of course, in an ideal world, they're responsible for the content that they're putting out there and the moderation of it. Um, are they responsible for the way you consume it? I mean, that's been decided, or at least it's been talked about in in the legal field. I would I would argue that it's not. It's up to you to turn it off, right? Because it's a company that you can easily delete the app. You can easily not, you know, ignore the channel. You don't actually hear what's going on there. But I do agree that they have a responsibility because words matter. And that's why I can't deal with the five or shows like that, Jesse Waters Primetime, because when I start hearing the buzzwords and phrases, it it brings back memories of me walking into the studio with Hannity and, you know, right, seeing the script and and what he's actually going to say or who's coming on and on O'Reilly's show, because he would tape at six before eight o'clock. So like, oh, we're gonna have this guy on and we're just gonna, you know, you know, beat him to death, you know, uh, figuratively, obviously, folks. And so, although I don't know what O'Reilly's past. So <laughs> but those are those are the kind of things where it's like yeah, he has a responsibility to go out there because words matter and he shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. But also that kind of stuff doesn't sell. That kind of stuff doesn't draw 3.3 million people in prime time and had him number one for for years. Yeah. That stuff's not going to sell because if he comes out there, which you and I want him to do, which was our today's top story is blah, blah, blah. Times have changed. We can't do Walter you know, Cronkite anymore. We just can't do that and give you those top stories We've got to try to sex it up at the detriment of the consumer. So all we can do, you and I, and uh, that's why I love the name of your show. And that's why I'm trying to do, you know, can we please talk? You know, we, uh, we should listen as well. But uh, can we please talk makes more sense. It's more marketable. But we should understand what it is we're consuming and have some literacy around what it is that we're consuming and understand the intentions of folks. You may not know them. But just listen to what they're saying and then go validate it against something else, something else that's credible, not, you know, somebody's blog or not Dan Bongino <laughs> or stuff like that. Like validate it against something that's real, that's verified, that's credible. Yeah. You know, I, I want to push back a little bit because I, I want to believe that if we just spend our entire life eating McDonald's and Burger King, that we can never go back and start eating you know, great salads or filet mignon or stuff from, you know, uh, Michelin star restaurants. But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like I used to smoke Garcia Vegas and think they were great. And then somebody gave me a nice avo. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish I never right. tasted a, you know, tried a good cigar. Right. Um, so I'd like to think that news can be that way, too, or commentary analysis can be that way, too. You know, we're getting the Burger King version of it. But, you know, Tucker Carlson is a really good example where you, you watch what he's been doing over the last few years. But if you go back to some of the stuff that he was writing for Bill when Bill Crystal was was the editor of the Weekly Standard, He's got some good stuff in there. He's got some interesting, nuanced thoughts in there. So I don't know. I, I'd like to think that as human beings, as a culture, we can we can develop a taste for the more nuanced, for the more dynamic, for the more humane, as opposed to uh, this uh, everybody you know throwing crap at each other all the time. But you know, I, I did want. To, speaking of which, I did want to get your insights, and we'll talk about can we please talk? Maybe this will lead into it. You've had so many different roles, as I mentioned before. You know, in particular, 
Um, I'd like I'd like you to help up listeners understand the nature of what you did for companies like MSG and Discovery Networks because they were different roles. They you know you weren't producing, you weren't directly behind the camera. You were getting involved in some of the new spaces where the, those networks were showing up. So I'd like to I'd like to understand what you were doing for those companies, but also more broadly speaking, how that informed your view of how we're creating content, distributing content, how we're consuming content. What is your view on all? Tell, tell us what you did and what is your view on all that? Yeah, so I, I ran digital apps uh, in the later half of my career from 2008-9 on. I helped launch HBO Go. I helped launch MSG Go. If you live in the New York, New Jersey area and you watch the Nixon Rangers or the Islanders, Devils, Sabres on their digital app, you're welcome because that was my baby. And, and I ran that for you know five and a half years. Discovery, I launched a PGA Tours International app, which was called Golf TV. And if you use the PGA Tour app now, and you can download it, um, all of that stuff is creation of mine because I was the mobile web and mobile app uh, product manager on that. So in, in conjunction with my buddy, Joe Mead. So the design, the look, the feel, um, doing focus group, you know, usability tests with folks about what do you like about this? Scroll with this prototype. Tell me when you click here, what do you like? And letting people kind of play around with different content is what helped shaped the way I would make these apps for these folks, right? Because you want to keep people in the funnel, but first and foremost, content's king. You got to have Richard Pepler, who is the former CEO of HBO, would always say that content is king. We have Sex in the City. We have Sopranos. We have Six Feet Under. We have Entourage. We have Curb Your Enthusiasm. We have these hits. We've won more Emmys than Showtime and these other networks. So we have it here. So they're going to come here. The goal is to cast a wider net and get more folks into the pipeline and keep them here, which is why you see Netflix and HBO Max, or now it's just Max, or, or Discovery Plus before, all have, when an episode ends, a 10-second countdown, and they dive you into something else. Because they don't want you to leave, because minutes watched. All these analytics are things that they can take back to either advertisers or shareholders. So, you know, now that you're asking me this, Corey, like now I'm thinking back to like, Boy, did maybe that I prey on people, right? Did I pray? And I, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean more like I did pray to an extent. I want to learn more about your user habits because the hardest thing to break is user habits, right? I go to ESPN first and foremost to get my sports stuff. So if I worked at Fox Sports or I worked at The Score, I need to figure out why are people going there first and why aren't they coming over here? That was one of my missions with PGA Tours International app. Four million people go to ESPN's leaderboard for golf coverage and they don't even have the stupid, you know, a tournament. We have it here. So how do we keep people here? I got an idea, a leaderboard functionality and the way to dive into a player's scorecard and actually watch highlights of shots that they've hit on that round. So everything that you're seeing on the PGA Tour app, is it comes from a brain trust of folks that worked at, at Discovery at the time. And then at the, at, sports is a little bit different because. You, you know, you're a fanatic of the Mets. You know, I, I love the Raiders and the Yankees and the Islanders. So I will watch these games regardless of if they're on Fubo TV, yeah. if they're on MSG Go, if they're on Tubi. Yeah. I don't care. I'm going to be there, right? So making fun of what channel it's on, the hardcore fan is going to go watch it. Apple TV Plus is the perfect example with some of these games. And I'm going to deal with it with, with Peacock, with, with Rutgers stuff. But the, casting the wider net, and getting people to stay here, low periods, keeping them engaged, 
And that way, while they're engaged, oh, by the way, I can swipe a little ad here and maybe they purchase this because that's sellable real estate. It's it's one of the things that I look back at it now and I go, it's the same thing translatable to voters and voter issues and the way these guys like Frank Luntz and some of these other folks that do focus groups, you know, um, I forget the girl from uh, Accountability GOP that's that's a friend. Oh, Sarah Longwell. Sarah Longwell, yeah. They all do, yeah, they all do these same things right now. They're trying to find out your habits. They're trying to find out what issues mean the most to you so they can rank them on a scorecard so they can get that information and intel back to strategists that are going to be working at these campaigns. Hey, we've done focus group stuff. We found out the XYZ and stuff like that. Everyone's ideating all the time. And the way you ideate is you get as much information as you can and then implement that into, you know, what people have given you in terms of feedback, right? I like this. I like that. I loved when I could scroll here. I love when I could do that. So I've spent the last 10 years praying on people is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That'll be the soundbite for everybody. But um, I, I think it's been great because it's it's helped, it's helped people out there use some apps that, you know, before you maybe couldn't discover some of this other content and now you have all of this at your disposal and you can, you know, for hours sit there and watch, you know, Max or, or the PGA Tours app. And I'm proud of the work that I've done, but I also know that consumer habits is the most potent information out there. The way consumers consume, whether it be news, sports information. And so part of me feels like, damn, man, I kind of contributed to that mess and added to that trying to figure out how people consume stuff and how I can give them more of it. So based on all that, it's almost counterintuitive. I'm going to kind of blow smoke up your ass, but not really. It's counterintuitive, the quality of content that you're creating with Can, Can We Please Talk and, and LMN, Leon Media, Media Network uh, overall, that you would think that having those insights, having that experience, knowing what moves the needle, you would create catnip for listeners catnip for consumers but that's not what you're doing you're creating quality content that that is right so i'm so glad you asked me that by the way i did not know you were going to ask me that's that's great because i literally took everything that i do present day job and i'm like how can i use one percent of it because i don't want it to be all about this i want to give people a chance to have their voices be heard across the areas where they're subject matter experts. The tagline for our show is we talk to people who know what they're talking about. I don't know anything about Georgia's, you know, RICO statutes or anything about their election laws. But when we come back after the break, former federal prosecutor and, and state prosecutor in Georgia, XYZ person is going to be joining us to break it all down. That's the purpose of my show. When Nick and I give commentary on something, a lot of the times it's based around subject matter expertise. When we dive into Tucker Carlson and Dom Lemon both being let go and I worked at one of the networks, I'm going to give you my perspective on that, just having worked there and having relationships still with people in the building, right? They come on my show. But also when we come back after the break, former Fox News and CNN host and somebody who knows about getting let go from CNN, Rick Sanchez is going to be joining us to break it down. He knows both of these guys. So that's what I'm trying to do. I don't really care if one person listens or six million people listen. And I know somebody may listen to this and say, that's impossible. There's no way you don't care. It's true because I don't make the kind of money that other folks that are doing it right now are making. So yes, maybe I am being naive and saying like, well, if it ever does blow up to that level, 
will I change certain parts of it and keep giving folks the catnip? Corey, if that happens, I hope not. And I and I hope I'm being honest here and, and people that are listening to this and you yourself as well, hold me to that because what I want to do is I want subject matter experts to tell me what's happening. I want to break down the latest news making headlines. And I'm doing it in the fashion that I did for a former news program, which is I take it from a production element. I break down the topic. We're going to play some sound. We're going to react. And then when we're going to go to break and then when we come back, here comes an expert that's going to talk to us. They've written a book about it. They're a journalist covering it. They're a legal analyst. And if people love that, great. The other shows that are part of Leon Media Network, you can check us out over at leonmedianetwork.com, are in sports. We have a guy who's in boxing and MMA that's a four-time Emmy-nominated producer, that uh, announcer for Fight TV. And his show's presented by DraftKings and the biggest names in boxing and MMA come on his show. Perfect. You want to learn more from, you know, Canelo Alvarez as he has his fight coming up, you know, this weekend against you know, Charlo. He's going to be on Ask the Experts with Karen Batia. Uh, back Your Play with Q is a show with Brandon Jacobs, the former New York Giants running back, and Rich Quinones, the former ESPN radio host. They break down sports topics, just like you and I would listen to sports radio back in the day. And then the other shows are really specialized with subject matter experts. A politics podcast that's coming with a former chief of staff to a member of Congress and also the House Speaker, uh, John Boehner, back in the day. So like somebody that's in politics and going to be talking about these stories that happen in Capitol Hill, what it is like working in D.C., right, giving you that experience and breakdown. And then an influencer that is in the leadership and coaching space that wants to kind of redefine what leadership means. Something's broken with leadership and going to have thought leaders on that are you know impactful in in the leadership space. I want to give people these voices, but I also know that like, if you don't know what you're talking about, shut up <laughs> and learn. I'm very big on that, and I, I apply that in my day job. I work in sports, and I know a lot about sports. But you know, the best example I could give the other day, I met with some guy, me and my friend, who's British, a coworker of mine, and he played rugby at university out there in London. We met some guy from you know a rugby organization. Corey, I said three words. How was your flight? You know, like four words, because I don't know anything about rugby. And my friend said to me afterwards, he's like, oh, I never seen you be so quiet. It's like, what do I have to chime in? I don't know much about rugby. I want to learn more. I want to soak it up. So we need to have that self-awareness, folks, listeners out there. If you don't know what you're talking about, shut up. <laughs> if you truly do not know what you're talking about with the issue, learn about it until you become at least educated enough that you feel you can speak intelligently on it and have these type of conversations. It's the biggest thing. Self-awareness is so lacking. If it was a Madden rating for a lot of people out there, it'd be an 11. You know, you got to know when you talk too much, Run DMC used to have this famous song, you talk too much and you never shut up. And if you don't know what you're talking about, you need to shut up and just listen. And that's what I try to do on Can We Please Talk? I want to let people talk to me so I can listen, so I can learn information. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. You're, you're true to your word about that. I, I was listening to the recording of it, uh, of what we did. And I'm like, man, I'm talking too much. And, and Mike isn't talking at all. <laughs> so so uh, it, it reminds me of that saying, uh, better to... Um, keep your mouth shut and let people wonder whether you're a fool, then open your mouth and start talking and, uh, you know, prove the point. So it, I, I ruined it, but uh, it, it's something along those but, lines. No, but you know, but Corey, you know, in, in fairness to you, like you're talking about religion 
And religion is something where, look, I mean, I was an altar boy from like fifth to seventh grade. I went to Catholic school, St. Francis of Rome in the Bronx. Um, and my parents went to a Christian church throughout those years as well in the Bronx in Crossroads Tabernacle. So like, yeah, I grew up in the church, but like, can I quote scripture from Luke or from Matt? Like, I can't do it like how I've heard you do it on other shows and break things down in the world of theology, like I can't do that stuff. I mean, I had intro to Old Testament at Rutgers. I got a C plus. So clearly <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing well in terms of that. And so I need to learn and get subject matter experts to tell me a little bit more about that. We want to learn more about the Presidential Records Act. Here comes Dr. Lindsey Chavinsky, a famous presidential historian and sits on the board at SMU. Like, why am I commenting on history? I don't know that. This is not my subject matter expertise. And I think we need to let the subject matter experts, not that we shouldn't question them. That's different. But listening to them, if they're educated enough about that, they should be allowed to go first and tell us what it is. You, we're, not, we're not getting on that plane tomorrow and you know, you're going to let me fly. I've never been to pilot school. I don't know anything. We're going to let the pilot fly. We're going to listen to him and then, or her, excuse me. And then we're going to, whatchamacallit, figure out how we get there. And then afterwards, we can talk about what we know about. Yeah, yeah. You know, so now I, I got to ask you a little bit of inside baseball or inside podcasting questions. You know, to your point on Can We Please Talk, you have such great guests. You know, I'm very proud of the guests that we've had on here, including you. Um, you know, but and there are a few shows that I look at. And I'm like, wow, that that is really great. That's a great lineup. Those are the, the, you're guilty by association, but you're also successful by association. So when I go to a show and I, I go down their their episodes and I see people that I want to listen to, you've already mentioned a few uh, right here: Mehdi Hassan or uh, Amna Nawaz or Jake Tapper. How do you? There, I'm guessing that there are some people that you know from your broadcasting career. Uh, but even with people that you know, there's a certain way that I would imagine you have to approach them. But then also, there's I'm, I'm guessing that there are people that you're one step or two steps removed from and you don't know at all. How do you approach a people that you do know a little bit, but also how do you approach people that don't know you and, and you don't know them at all to come on your show? Well, the network folks are a little bit different. I have the relationship with Fox News, so uh, I do get to have the people that I have identified from Fox that I want you to listen to. The war in Ukraine, Trey Yinkst is out there all the time on the front lines. Friend of mine, I reach out to Fox PR. Hey, we want to have Trey on. Here's a block of times if he can make it, et cetera, et cetera. So that works a little bit different in the network sphere. Um, it takes me a little while to build up that kind of resume because you got to have enough of these folks on where like you can kind of use it as a showcase. Hey, look, this person's been on. So I would love to have, you know, Jake Tapper on or Mehdi Hassan. And then once they come on the show and they realize the dynamic between me and my co-host, the preparedness that we have with the questions that we're going to ask, um, then they are, you know, this is great. And now they sign off on it for future endeavors if we do want to have them on again. The hardest issue has been for me has been right now, I want to have on a bunch of different folks from the GOP side for the debates. Uh, and by the way, I'll take it as a challenge if anybody out there is listening. You know, Governor Christie, Vivek Ramazani, um, Will Hurd, um, we've invited all of these folks on the program uh, know some of the comms directors, have communicated with folks through different social channels. I kind of lean on the guest booker experience of not only working adjacent to guest bookers, but now dealing with guest bookers, trying to get on TV, where I take a templatized message to them. This is who we've had on. This is what we want to have him or her on about. This is how long it's going to be. 
And here's links to the work. And like you just said, the work speaks for itself. And it's been great to see that members of Congress, you know, we have a few coming up over the next couple months. Obviously, the recess is happening right now as you and I are recording it. So, you know, a lot of people are on vacation, not going to be coming on. But as we get into the teeth of the fall, we're going to have more members of Congress on from both sides of the aisle because I want to have conversations with folks that are out there that are doing something policy wise. If you want to yell and scream about weaponization of this and that, and you are hypocritical to something that happened before, and you want to play the whataboutism game, I don't have time for that. I want to deal with people that are actually sitting on committees that are talking about things that they can implement and put into practice. I've, I've had a few members of Congress on, Seth Moulton, who's a representative from Massachusetts, Jamal Bowman from my actually, uh, my district in New York, when I lived in the, in the Bronx and Yonkers. We've had both of them on the program. Uh, Representative uh, Veronica Escobar is going to be on. We've reached out. Representative Chip Roy is supposed to be on. So, like, I've I've tried to reach out to folks that I've watched content about them. Not so much the news segment stuff. It's been longer form stuff where I'm like, that is really interesting. Let me reach out to their comms director. Let me show them what we've done and see if we can get them on the program. I think the biggest thing that I've kind of implemented for my show has been something I heard on How to Make It in America, the former HBO show, where somebody was like, don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you've done. And it took us a while to get there. But now that we've shown people what we've done and people see our roster of guests along news and politics, they're more likely to come on. I mean, recently, I want to say six months ago, somebody was like, and who's been on your show now? And then they got a text from somebody that's been on my show and they were like, oh, never mind. I, I know who you guys are now. So that's been the coolest thing. And on the flip side of that, somebody at Fox News, they're trying to get booked for a segment, uh, one of the Fox News Sunday panels. And the producer said to me, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> and like the way they said it, I was like, uh -oh. oh, I don't know if that means I'm I'm going to get on or, or not, because I don't really bash the network that hard. But like, uh, so we'll see if, uh, more on that when we come back after the break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. actually, I am curious about your, your own views. You've been around the news for a long time, reporting the news, producing the news. Um, have you developed strong opinions on different issues, politicians, or are you more of a just the facts kind of guy? Ooh, Corey, this is, this is very Wizard of Oz. Who's back there? And if I show you the curtain here. So without telling you my political leanings, I will tell you this. And I think you and I are aligned. A lot of people say this, but they don't mean it. A lot of people say this but they don't mean it. I am left of center, social issues, right of center, fiscal issues. And the reason I say that is because, and people will give the smirks and they'll give the, oh yeah, here we go. It's like my father's a black man, okay? <laughs> my father's Afro-Cuban and my mom's Puerto Rican, right? I grew up in the Bronx. I know what it's like to be around 90% blacks and Hispanics and then get dropped off in a white neighborhood in eighth grade and try to assimilate into a white neighborhood. And then going to a big college that has a diverse campus, but then other campuses that are not as diverse and getting into that school because of the benefits of affirmative action. I know all about that. And I've done TV segments on that. So again, self-awareness, right? Um, that's where I tend to lean right now in terms of issues. I'm very issues driven. So when I look at a ballot, for example, my wife and I do this all the time. You know, we're, we're here in the state of Florida. We take a look at the ballot. We bring up the two names. We take about 50 minutes to fill out any type of ballot because we're searching the names for those judges, cases that they've presided over. Now, I know people are going to be like, oh, that's crazy. I'm never doing that. I'm just going to, you know, if it's a D, if it's an R. No, 
This is the problem because then you vote for that person or, or, and, and, and what happens is, is you're like, why is that person presiding over there? What did I vote for? I don't even remember what I voted for. The down ballot races are important, folks. And if you don't take the time to look at what these candidates have either said publicly, have done in their front facing jobs right now, you're doing a disservice to yourself and your community and the people around you and your vote. The whole thing that we're fighting for is your ability to vote. And you're just, oh, you know what? I could do this in five minutes. It's not a five minute process. It's like a 45 minute process, maybe even longer as you're looking at the ballot and really judging what it is those candidates stand for. So me and my wife have been doing that for years now. She's only been my wife for the last six years. So, but we've been doing it, you know, I would say a couple years into our relationship. And what I've started to do now is people outside of the show will ask me, well, what do you think about Biden on this? What do you think? And I, I struggle with those answers because a, I'm not, I'm not the political commentator on our show. If you've listened to our show, Nick is more of the political commentator because we switched roles a couple episodes into the series. I said, look, I'm a host. I'm very good at asking questions. I can book us guests. I can get them here, get them to be comfortable. And I don't want people to get solely my opinion unless I'm incredibly passionate about it. School safety and school shootings, I'm incredibly passionate about as having kids in schools right now. You know, take this take this thing out of a sentence and that person, yeah, they can go in there with a knife and a nunchuck and do damage. It's not going to be the same amount of damage, folks. It's just not. It's just not. And I will die on that hill, proverbial hill, um, and proverbially die. Uh, but like, you know, it's real simple. Like, it's it, we can talk about all the other things and figure out solves for people in the funnel of having mental health issues. But if they don't have access to that thing, they can't do the stuff that they want to do to as many people as they want to do it to. Yeah. So and I don't, don't want to take away guns. Nobody's coming to your house in the history of this country. Uh, well, again, I shouldn't say that. But when, when when have people in the last hundred years come to your house and, and knocked on the door and said, give me that gun? Unless it's like some local thing that they're giving some type of buyback program. That doesn't happen, folks. No one's coming to take your gun. We get it. You have a right to it. No one's we don't want to stop that. We want to limit the access that other people have to that. So to answer your question, Corey, you can see it. I'm passionate about things like that that will affect friends, family, immigration. You know, my dad came here from from Cuba in 1960. You know, that's a huge thing for me because as a Cuban who understands the Cuban vote down here in Miami, Cubans love closing the door on the people behind them. They love doing that. The Latino community is very notorious for that. Sorry, Latinos, that I'm painting us with a wide brush, but it's true. We get here and it's like, oh, I don't remember anything that happened before communism, socialism, Marxism. Hey, let's make them all three, one word. It's like, they're not all the same right. thing. And also, this is not a communist state. No one's at the line right now at the grocery store being handed a generic bottle of this and a generic soap. And then you got to come back in two weeks to pick up your next part. That doesn't happen here in America. So the people that use that word as a, as a buzzword drives me crazy because my father saw what that looked like, or at least the infancy of it, before he left Cuba. And, in 1960. So it's, it's, I feel passionate about issues like that. And I've become, I've said this to you when we recorded on our show, I really have started to look at it the way other voters are starting to do it. Single issues. This is the most important thing to me right now. You know, not so much book bans or like things like that, age appropriate stuff. We can get into all of that, but I look at it from single issues. Who is really, you know, wants to get sensible gun legislation out there? 
Who's that person? Because that's who I want to vote for. Right. If that person happens to have an R next to their name, and then they've got some really cool, you know, fiscal policies, you know, that can help the economy. Okay, great. But I'd rather be alive so I can enjoy the economical benefits as opposed to being dead, right? Yeah. Or being shy, you know, just going to the mall or going to an H&M on a Saturday to return something. So that's kind of where I live without giving you the entire, you can kind of pick up yeah, sure. where I live there, but that's really where I live. I live in terms of issues. And I, I on the show, I say it all the time. I've, people have told me I should make it into a t-shirt. It's not about R&D, folks. It's about right and wrong. It really is about right and wrong to me. Something is clearly right. Something is clearly wrong. We should all be on the side of right. We shouldn't be on the side of wrong. Amen. All right. So I got the TPNR question. One more question, a piece of business, and we'll wrap up. So TPNR question, talk politics and religion without killing each other. What do you think, excuse me, what do you think each of us can do to be able to share space with, have better conversations with, even nurture relationships with people across our differences? So people who think differently than we do, who have different beliefs than we do, who get their news from different sources than we do, how can we do better at talking politics and religion without killing each other, or is it even possible? Oof. Oh, baby. You ask everybody this? Boy, this is going to be a hard one. Jeez. I Look, I struggle with this because uh, there was a fracture in my family, you know, um, where we stopped talking to a few folks, you know, uh, multiple gun owners, you know, posting things after Uvalde that were incredibly insensitive, um, you know, joking about certain things after the George Floyd stuff. And I was like, I can't talk to these people anymore. I can't do it. Sky's blue, sun's yellow. If you can't meet me at certain things there, I don't think you and I should be having a conversation anymore, to be honest with you. And I know that kind of kills the point of talking politics and religion without killing each other because I'm not killing anybody. I'm just letting them be. You want to live in that ethos. You want to live in that, that echo chamber or that ecosystem. That's the beauty of this country. It's a free country and you're allowed to dive down rabbit holes and get consumed by it. I would tell people, check out the podcast American Radical that my buddy Eamon Mohideen did about his friend from high school's sister-in-law that fell down the rabbit holes of what QAnon and January 6th was all about. And she's one of the folks that got trampled in January 6th, uh, Roseanne Boylan, and ended up dying. I think it's her, her name, Roseanne Boylan. And it's because people were like, she would be on YouTube going down these rabbit holes and stuff like that, conspiracy theories. And it just ate her up where next thing you know, she's doing a 14-hour drive from Georgia up to DC on January 6th. So it's a cautionary tale for people out there. To the broader question, we can talk to each other civilly. I've dealt with this right now. Um, you know, my daughter is in school. You meet the parents and you talk to the parents. What do you do? And the first thing I always lead with is, you know, I work at sports, which is my day job. Uh, I, I tend to not lead with the podcast. Somehow along the way, because me and my wife are nice people, we tend to follow each other on social media. And then from social media, they tend to find out a little bit more about the show. And that's where I've had conversations on the golf course, basketball courts with friends of mine that are really friends of mine now that, you know, hey, I like what RFK is saying or I like, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm I have to restrain myself. So self-awareness I talked about, self-restraint, restraining yourself in terms of letting them tell you what it is that they like or dislike about this person. And when you're correcting that person, because you know the facts of it, correcting it in the most nicest way possible. There's an author over my shoulder, Jared Yates Sexton, that has a popular podcast called, a popular podcast, excuse me, called The Muckrake, political podcast. He's done this great book 
and he came on our show and he said, you know, one of the things that I learned about people was if you just talk to them like a detective, let them tell you the details of what happened. Then you'll find out a little bit more as to why they have fallen down this conspiracy hole or why they think that Joe Biden is weaponizing the DOJ and he's just prosecuting his, you know, his his current uh, challenger for president, as opposed to the former president breaking some laws himself. And it's uh, as we're going to find out in the court of law. But that is the root of it, getting it out of people and talking. But it doesn't it doesn't happen without you being self-aware of some of your leanings and the way you are maybe argumentative or not argumentative, the way you shut down and also being able to say, okay, let me take this off for a second, my guard, and let me listen to the other person, hear what they have to say, not roll my eyes, not do all these things from a body language perspective that would turn that person off and really listen to it. But again, I would give the caveat, Corey, and it blows up the entire show here. (laughs) The caveat is fact fiction. Not my facts, not your facts, the actual facts. I say this all the time, man. The shirt I'm wearing is green. Whether or not it makes me look stupid is an opinion. One's a fact, one's an opinion. If you're debating me on the color of the shirt, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm literally not talking to you anymore. It says it on the back. The manufacturer has signed off that it's black. Like, we're, you know, like when I agree, excuse me, we're not doing this. We're not arguing about it. We can argue about the second one. We can't argue about the first. So three things I leave them with. Be self-aware. Know when to shirt, shut certain things down, you know, in terms of like your guard and stuff like that and open up and listen, but also make sure that it's rooted in fact. Yeah. There's no such thing as my facts, alternative facts. It's, facts it's a fact. Facts. Make sure that the conversation is rooted in yeah. fact. Good stuff. Good stuff. So being self-aware, knowing when to shut it down, having uh, healthy boundaries is, is what some folks would say. And, uh, you know, not, not having to have alternative facts, facts are facts. I like that. All right. Last question, a piece of business. Any questions for me? You know, Corey, I I asked you this when you came on our show, but I didn't get to ask it kind of the way I wanted to ask it, which was really like, I've heard you on other shows about the the, the religion part of this. And I just, I really want to learn more about how religion has consumed the right wing party, how it's been hijacked. You told me, yeah, it's for a longer conversation. They've been doing this for forever. But like people out there think if I'm religious, I can't be a Democrat. And that is so weird to me. There's so many examples of Democrats that are in churches on Sunday. Why, why have they been able to grab this? I'm, I'm a religious guy. Like, I, you know, like I believe in Jesus Christ. I say a prayer before I go to bed every night. Now I'm in church all the time. No, but I just don't get how one party has been able to really hijack and take over mundane symbols in this country, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. I can put a flag out there. We all, we see the flag. We know who that person, yeah, they'll be at the Trump rally later tonight. Yeah. And it's like, why is that like that? How are you going to be able to talk to people that are like that with this show? Like how, how have you done any outreach to people that are like that to kind of break down how religion has been hijacked by the GOP or like how, you know, mundane things have been kind of hijacked by, by that side of the aisle? Yeah, I have actually, I've spent the better part of the last 20, 20 to 25 years doing it basically. 
uh, whether I'm talking to experts uh, from different angles of it who've studied history, uh, theology, sociologists, um, leaders. You know, we just had Dr. Russell Moore on the on the program, who's, and I've spoken to him a few times. Um, and I study this stuff, but I'm also in it on a personal level. So I keep on going for whatever reason. Maybe I'm masochistic in this way. I keep on going back uh, to these guys that I went to Bible studies with. I keep on going back to these uh, folks I became friendly with uh, where my kids used to go to school, a Christian school. Um, because in, in one way it fascinates me. In one way it, it really, really troubles me that, you know, if we say that our priority is that, that we defer to the authority of Scripture, and Scripture happens to say something that uh, feels uncomfortable to somebody because of their political preferences, because of their social prejudices, then, hey, let's take a look at that Scripture. And let's take a look at, and listen, if you come out the other side saying, you know what, my political preferences and my social uh, disposition uh, on social issues uh, takes precedence over what Bible is clearly saying, then okay, let's just be honest about it. Right, but if the, if you say that the Bible comes first and you derive your political positions from what the Bible's saying, and it happens, and we happen to be reading from say Leviticus 19, which by the end of the chapter it's pretty clear Leviticus 19 is pretty much as open border policy on integration as you can get, then hey, let's be honest about it. Now I'm not saying that we should all have an open border policy, but I'm just saying let's read our scripture contextually properly. If we say that it's the authority, then let's defer to it. Let's try to understand what it's saying. Let's not start with our predisposed a priori preferences and then try to back little uh, broken shards of scripture into it. So, you know, that that's one thing. I keep on going into these conversations because I think that, and one of the reasons I'm doing the show that I'm doing is because I want to get better at it. Not that I want to get better at it so that I can convince people that I'm right and they're wrong. That's not it. But if we're in relationship together and we're committed to certain things like facts are facts or like the... Uh, like trying to understand the virtues that are espoused in scripture and trying to embody that, whether it's for ourselves, for our families, for our community, for, for our, our extended uh, family, then, then let's do that. Let's do that project together. We might come out the other side disagreeing on some things, or we might come out the other side of this particular conversation and say, you know, this, I, I got more questions. Let me go back and read up on some stuff and let's get together next week, have another beer next week, have another coffee next week. You know, so I want to be committed to the relationships so that we can go through this thing together and come out the other side, whether it's better for ourselves or better for the community at large, leaving its community, leaving its planet in a little bit of a better place. In, in Hebrew, uh, there's an expression called tikkun olam, healing the world. I think at the end of the day, we're all committed to this project. The people that I hang with are committed to this project of healing the world. There are problems in the world. Let's hang together. Let's figure it out together. Let's, figure, let's diagnose what some of the problems are together. And let's figure out how we can contribute to making it a little better. Tikkun olam, healing the world. So, I love yeah. It. I love it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's been, I, I wanted to add to the discourse. I didn't want to come in and yell. You know, I don't want to do confrontational journalism. I also want to talk to people that I do disagree with. But again, as the host, I want to ask questions and learn more information about it. So I'm with you, man. Like, again, your your show title and I, I just think politics and religion 
are so intertwined right now. And you see it all the way down to when somebody goes on TV and the lapel that they're wearing, like you can see all of those things are plotted out. And it's because of religion appeasing to a, a faction of folks that are going to vote for you that are, you know, in, in the churches on Sundays. And it's really intertwined with politics. You see it all the time. I see it with friends right now that are just very, you know, uh, the LGBTQ uh, plus community, right? I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I hate it. You know, like it's against everything that's uh, in the Bible. It's immoral and stuff like that. I get it. But the Bible also teaches you other things that are in scripture. If you're going to loosely interpret one part of it, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself, right? Like there's other parts of this that if we're not, if you're not going to read the entire book, it's it's all subjective is what I would say. So it's why your show title gravitated towards me when I was on Instagram one day. I'm like, man, this is, this is exactly what is happening right now in modern politics. It's like on TV, you don't see the religious part of it. But when you get them in longer settings, politicians specifically, you get these Republican town halls. You can watch one of them on YouTube. Religion comes yeah. up right yeah. away, right away. And we all know the famous clip of former President Trump answering, uh, well, not Two answering a question about his yeah. favorite passage. Yeah, exactly. Ah, so many, so many to judge. <laughs> There's a bunch. Uh, we leave it on there because yeah. my Donald Trump impression is not that good. <laughs> That's not bad at all. All right. So how can folks follow you, find more information about Can We Please Talk and LMN, your, your network and all the great work that you're doing? Folks, here comes Mike Leon podcast voice. You can visit us, leonmedianetwork.com. Head to our Instagram handle, Can We Please Talk podcast on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. Leave off the E. We're on TikTok, Can We Please Talk podcast. But truly follow all the great shows that are happening over at the network, leonmedianetwork.com. Follow our show, Can We Please Talk, Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods, everywhere. And follow our YouTube channel for all the video portions of the interviews that we've done over at Can We Please Talk podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button for me. Please, 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 pretty please. I gave you four pleases in there. We, we really appreciate it. So that's where you can find Mike, me. Mike, this is awesome, man. I really enjoy hanging out with you. Even though you're a Yankee fan, I won't hold that against you. You know, Mets fans, Yankees fans can hang together without killing each other, right? That's right. It's like that Blood and Crips uh, uh, meme that's out there where they're holding up the, the colors together. Hey, listen, I mean, if the Yankees bullpen is going to blow another game in, in South Florida, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's been great to be on with you, Corey. In all seriousness, man, keep doing what you're doing. You ever need any advice or even any type of pick-me-up, you let me know. You hit me up first because I love giving people pick-me-ups that are trying to do something to add to the discourse. It's why I gravitated towards your show. I think you're doing a great job with it, man. Continue success to you. Thank buddy. you. I appreciate that. I might take you up on that sooner than you think. Uh, but for now, let me just close by saying, if you dig what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button. Leave your review, comments, wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend about TPNR. Don't forget to tell your Aunt Tilly about talk politics and religion without killing each other politicsandreligion.us www.politicsandreligion.us you can find me online at Corey S. Nathan it's Corey with an E and S is Sam at Corey S. Nathan now we'll talk some politics and religion Yankees and Mets with gentleness and respect and have a great week